series that we're calling Navigating Life, a study of wisdom literature. In the Old Testament, there's a group of books that we call wisdom literature. It's the Psalms, the Proverbs, it's Job, Ecclesiastes. And in these books, the central theme is wisdom. And if I had to define wisdom, it's really, really easy. It's taking God at his word and applying that word to our everyday lives. If we take God at his word and we allow that to influence all that we do in our lives, those books will tell us in the end that we are wise people. So we're going to look at wisdom over these next few weeks. And to kick off the message series, I get to kick off a message I've been waiting to teach for months now. And I'll explain why in a little while. But in order to do that, I want to give you one of my favorite quotes. And it comes from C.S. Lewis. And it's this simple. God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. What that means is when we feel really good about life and we feel like we're blessed, it it almost feels like God is smiling down upon us. That's that whisper, like, hey, this is from me. But when we're in pain and we're suffering, God said he is shouting at us, using this pain to draw us to his side. And one of the people in the Psalms who really understood that was David. David wrote most of the Psalms in the Old Testament. He was acquainted with pain. And I, when I'm going through pain and I'm struggling, I oftentimes go to Psalm 25. And Psalm 25 is what we call a lament psalm. And simply, a lament psalm gives us permission to be raw and gut-level honest with God. Sometimes we believe when it comes to God, we have to become fake robots. Like somehow when life uh, is happening, even if it's bad, we have to walk around with a smile on our face saying, praise the Lord, hallelujah, amen, sister, brother, whatever it is. And yet here's the deal. When we say those things, we don't even mean it because life is really hard right now. And we feel like if we uh, acknowledge that or we're not real about that, somehow God is going to be mad at us or frustrated But I read these lament psalms all throughout Scripture, especially Psalm 25. Literally, it's God just saying, will you stop being fake and just be real? All that you're feeling, the rawness of that, the honesty of that, be transparent and vulnerable with me. I want the real you so we can make some headway in this life. Which is why David is so real in this lament psalm in Psalm 25. I love two-thirds of the way through. He he says this in verses 17 and 18. He's so real. He's like, listen, my problems, they go from bad to worse. Oh, save me from them all. Feel my pain and see my trouble. Forgive me of all of my sins. I love how real David is here. He's like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Have you ever felt that way? Like you're going through a hard time already? And you're like, okay, I can't handle any more. And you're like, bam, there's more. I feel like sometimes I'm looking up at God and saying, are you, are you kidding me? Do you not care? Do you not see? I am drowning and right now I feel like you're putting my head underwater even more so. What is your problem? And you say, oh, I can't say that to God. Well, then what you're saying is you're better than someone who wrote scripture. Because David is saying, God, I need you to save me from my drowning. I am struggling here. I need your help. Rescue me. One of the reasons that we know that David is struggling, we see this in verses 2 and then in 19. He says in verse 2, I trust you, my God, but 
Don't let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. See how many enemies I have in verse 19. How viciously they hate me, protect me, rescue me from my life. Rescue me from them, excuse me. Every single day, David wakes up, he has people that want to kill him. And he's like, listen, God, if you don't intervene, if you don't block them, if you don't put up a wall around me with them, they're going to kill me. What are you going to do about it? I love how honest he is and real and raw. He's like, I need you. Help me as I'm going through these troubles and in this pain. But there are three words in Psalm 25 that stick out to me over and over again. And I think it captures what a lot of us are dealing with right now, whether we recognize it or not. Here's what David says about this pain. He says, turn to me and have mercy. Why? For I am alone and in deep stress. I wonder how many people in here feel alone. How many would say, when I look at my life, I just am alone. Feeling loneliness and being alone in this world is one of the most painful things that you and I can experience. The other day, uh, we were at the baseball fields. Both my boys play baseball. One is in T-ball, and one is in the upper division, the eight and under division. And I was at my son Micah's T-ball game. Have you ever witnessed a T-ball game before? (laughs) We get excited when they run to first base. It is hilarious. I mean, and my, my son, he hits the ball really well. I'm really proud of him. And so we're at his last game, and we were getting close to being done. And at that time, my other son, Hudson, had a game, and I'm also his assistant coach for that. So I had to run over to the other field to be at first base to help coach the team. Well, I figured my wife, who was standing right by the fence, saw me go across the field and know that after Mike is done, he, she needs to help him get to the field. Well, she doesn't see that. And so she walks away also after a few minutes thinking, well, of course, Eric will bring Micah over. And I thought Paula would bring him over. As you see, this is not going to turn out well. (laughs) Well, Micah, he has to get his snack. Now, snack is a really big deal in T-ball. Snack's a big deal for me personally as well in my life. But for T-ball, like, it is the snack. What is the snack, right? So they get their snacks, and Micah is looking around for Mommy and Daddy to help him get to the next field. And he's walking out of the field, and he's just standing there with all these people around. And he doesn't see Paula or myself. And my, I hate even saying this, my poor little four-year-old, he has tears just streaming down his face. I know. Oh. And he's so scared, and he feels so lonely. And thankfully, God's providence happened because Ken Rawson, who is our middle school lead at our Sandusky campus, ends up walking into the fence just as Micah is feeling lonely and scared. And Ken so tenderly grabs Micah and he looks for a responsible adult, a.k.a. his parents, and he can't find them. (laughs) And finally, he spots Paula and he brings Micah to her and all as well. And as I thought about the story, not only does it, you know, it breaks my heart, but I saw some irony in the story. Because here's Micah in between these fields and all these people are around him and yet he has tears streaming down his face because he feels so alone. And I thought, how interesting that that captures so many of our stories in this room. Because you and I could go to an Ohio State game who pulls in 105,000 fans per home game, and you and I can feel like we're the only one in the stadium. 
Well, there's some of us, we have great lives, great jobs, great families, great friends. We have plenty of followers on social media. We come to a church like the chapel and we feel so isolated, so left out, so down about feeling alone. And no, we may not have tears streaming down our face all the time, but the state of our soul is so lonely. Do you know that psychiatrists now notice this and it's such a problem in the United States, they're calling it a loneliness epidemic. That we're in a culture that many people feel isolated. And so this leading health group, Cigna, does this survey of 20,000 Americans and they use uh, the UCLA method, which is an academic method for measuring loneliness. And the results of this survey are staggering. Nearly half of Americans report sometimes or always feeling alone or left out. One in two people in this church feel this way, and we have families and friends and jobs and a great church and all those things, but it doesn't matter because we feel alone. One in four, 27%, rarely or never feel as though there are people who really understand them. Two in five Americans sometimes or always feel that their relationships are not meaningful and that they are isolated from others. Two in five feel like they're not in any meaningful relationships. And that includes their marriages, as parents, as coworkers, as friends. And probably the scariest stat that I saw in this survey, and they're surveying um, people who are 18 and over, is this. Generation Z, which are adults between 18 and 22, is the loneliest generation. What's scary is it's getting lonelier. It's gone from okay now to worse and worse and worse. And my kids, your kids, your grandkids are the next generations. How lonely are they going to feel? And you may say, well, it's because we live in the social media age that we feel so lonely. Well, actually, that survey said only social media makes us feel lonely up 2%, which means only 2% more is the cause of social media. But there's this epidemic, regardless of social media, that many of us just feel alone. Why? Why is it that half of us in this room are in meaningful relationships and yet we don't get the satisfaction faction that we need from them? Why is it that we can be in a room like this singing to Jesus, but we wonder, does anyone even care or even notice us? Why is that? Why do we feel alone? David gives a couple reasons why in Psalm 25. I want you to know these aren't exhaustive, meaning he may not hit everything here, but I think he hits two categories that I think really uh, captures a lot of what you and I are going through. And here's the first one. One of the main causes of loneliness is what I call outward circumstances or things that happen to us. And for David, again, he has many enemies after him. Now, the interesting thing is he has a lot of people around him. He's the king, which means he has all these servants, all these people guarding the palace, and yet he still feels alone because he feels like people are out to get him. Now, hopefully, when you and I wake up in the morning, we don't have people at our doors trying to kill us. If so, we need to get you help, okay? <laughs> That's probably not the case, but I can guarantee you that there are things happening outside of ourselves that are causing some extreme loneliness in our lives. And I think the survey tells us one of those things. It's relationships. I think one of the big things that leads to us feeling isolated 
are in the relationships that we have on a daily basis. One of the main reasons you and I, if you and I feel lonely here, is because we oftentimes feel misunderstood. If you are who you are, and people don't accept you for who you are, and you feel like you have to be fake or wear a mask or be somebody that you're not, over time, there is no lonelier existence than being somebody other than who God created you to be. And because we haven't felt accepted from a child or even into an adulthood, we put on this fake mask and feel like everything's okay, but underneath it's not. How lonely. That leaves us feeling so vulnerable. Another thing that I've thought of is just if some of us are in marriages and yet we act like we're just roommates. (laughs) If you're supposed to be in a committed relationship with one person that you love more than anything and you walk past that person and that person doesn't care like they did at the beginning of the relationship or when they said I do on a stage like this, how lonely to walk into a room and be roommates with someone that you're supposed to be best friends with. Some of us are in marriages like that. How lonely. I think of parents today, fathers who have been isolated because their kids have abandoned them or turned their backs on them. There's many of us in relationships right now. It just, it really hurts. Some of us trying to be in friendships or trying really, really hard and everyone else has best friends and are always doing everything, but no one calls us. Why? Why do we feel like we don't belong? I think another reason why these outside circumstances affect us so much is because of of the season of life we're in. There's some of you in this room that are going through a breakup or you're divorced or separated or maybe you're single and you just feel like no one loves you and cares about you and you just feel so alone. There's others of us in this room that are going through grief, processing the loss of a dad on a day like this or a mom or a husband or wife or a child or a friend. Grief is one of the loneliest journeys you can go on because no one understands the true pain that you're in. I think about those who are in fatherhood like I am, who sometimes feel like, man, if I could just get to that point in fatherhood, then I would feel like I'm a really good dad or I feel purpose, you know? I have four kids, six and under, and I'm always looking at my friends who have dads that are older. I'm like, oh, you can leave the house and no one's screaming while you're getting in the car? How does that feel? <laughs> and my, my friends who have older kids say, oh, yeah? Little kids, little problems. Big kids, big problems. And then I always think, okay, kids, just stay six and under. I'll go back to that. But it can feel really, really lonely when you can't do everything that you want to do. My, my wife's a stay-at-home mom, and she'll come home, I'll come home, and she'll say, how did it feel to speak to adults today? Did you have to change diapers all day? I said, yes, no. I'm just kidding. No. No. And, and just the way that she feels sometimes, just in motherhood, can just feel so isolating and alone. Some of us are in jobs where we feel like, man, we, we can't go up. We can't go forward. We're in a job where we just feel like it's a dead-end job and you don't want to be there anymore, but you have to provide and how lonely that is when other people get promotions and other people are in their passions when you're not. I think about two of my closest friends who have really started taking Jesus seriously at an older age and they have kids and they've been hanging out with people and having the same lifestyle for so long, but then Jesus called them to a different life and they're trying to figure that out in their friendships and in their family. 
And I know how lonely they feel around all of these other families that they have to surround themselves with. There's so many outside circumstances. I know I didn't probably touch half of them in this room. But if you can relate to that, I just want to say I'm sorry. It is so painful to live a life like that, to be isolated, to not feel like you have other people truly in your corner that love and lift you up. But there's another set of circumstances that Paul talks about here that I think start to pinpoint even some more of those issues that lead to isolation and loneliness. And the one that he says in verse 18 is these inward struggles. He's just saying, look at my pain, look at my trouble. I don't know about you, but there's times in my life where I feel lonely and I don't even know why that is. It's just there and I'm trying to figure it out. I call that kind of life an iceberg life, meaning I can see uh, the tip of the iceberg, but this huge mass is underneath the water and you can't see it. And so it is with our loneliness. We may be able to see a few things. Okay, that may be it. But there's all of these things residing in our souls. Some from our childhood that we can't even pinpoint. Some things that are happening in our lives that just are causing loneliness and we can't figure out why that is. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But there's one other reason David says within these inward struggles that leads to loneliness. Let me just say up front, it's a kind of loneliness that you and I have caused to ourselves. And David says in verse 18, forgive me of all of my sins. It's interesting that he connects loneliness here to sin. And I want you to know up front what sin really is. I think sometimes if I say sin, our culture, or even in our church, starts to think of a list. Okay, I can't do this, I shouldn't do this, I won't do this, I can do this. And that may or may not be true, but that's not the definition of sin. You see, the heart of sin is pride and selfishness. At the beginning of this world and at the beginning even of our own lives, we determine that we want to be the God of our own lives. We want to make the decisions. We want to call the shots. That's why one of the first words that a kid realizes when they're able to speak is the word no. (laughs) I'm not doing that because they want to have control. And it gets worse as we get older. And when we have control of our lives or we live selfish lives, it means that all we really care about more than anybody else is ourselves. And we start to function that way. What it does is it pushes God out of the realm, saying, God, thanks for creating me. I appreciate it. But when it comes to leading my life, I can do that. So we build a wall around ourselves when it comes to God. God can't have access to us. But let me tell you, if you live a selfish life in your relationships, you and I are harming people because we act like it has to be our way. And if it's not our way, we become passive aggressive. We yell, we get frustrated. We do a lot of nasty things because we want life to be on our terms. You know what? After a while, when you do that to your spouse or to your kids or to your coworkers or to your friends, you push them out of your life and you build all these walls up. And it may be intoxicating at first to live life the way you want it to be, but after a while, when you look around and no one wants to be in your life, it becomes very lonely. It's the reason why um, David, it should say Psalm 32, that was my fault. Psalm 32, 3 through 4, when he's talking about the sin or the selfishness and pride in his life, he says, when I refused to confess it, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength, it evaporated like water in the summer heat. He's literally saying for a while it was great to live my own life, but then after a while it was so heavy and so terrible, and so isolating, that it controlled everything, and it led to me being lonely. 
Some of us are lonely, not because of what others have done or our circumstances, because we've caused it ourselves. I know a lot of people who get so frustrated with everybody else because it's everyone else's fault. And what I want to really say is, but yeah, it may be some of their fault, but you've built so many walls around you that no one can penetrate your heart anymore. God nor people can. You've caused this. Sometimes I think about that in my life, and I think about God. I'm thinking, God, what, what are you going to do with a guy like me? This lonely guy who struggles with these things, what would you do? And I think of what Isaiah says in Isaiah 53. We may feel lonely because of the sin in our lives, but here's the interesting thing. Jesus says that he was alone too because of our sin. Look what Isaiah predicts about the coming of Jesus. He says in Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected. What literally means we pushed him away. We spit on him. We didn't care about him. We outright rejected. And if you feel despised and rejected because who you are, how lonely. But why was he despised and rejected? Why was he a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief? Well, Isaiah says the reason is because we turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. In other words, God wanted a relationship with him, and we said, you know what, we'll take it from here, God. And we literally, Isaiah says, if we're walking here with God, we turn our back and we walk away from him. The loneliness of our God who created us for a relationship with him, and we walked away from that relationship, you and I may feel lonely, but how awful for us to walk away from him because of what we did. And he was despised. Again, we see that we're despised, rejected. And you know what? We saw that God was lonely and we did not care. So what does Jesus do with that? We don't want him. We want to build walls and control life. Well, what does he do? And thankfully, Isaiah says, that's not the end. It's only the beginning. He says, however, you know what? It was our sin, our weaknesses, our faults that he carried it was our sorrows that weighed him down. The very things that we pushed God away for, he took them on himself. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but no, it wasn't. He was pierced and crushed for our sins. Why? He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we would be healed. To use the terms we've already talked about before, we build up all these walls and he took on our sins so he can bring them down. All of us are fractured. All of us have issues. All of us are not healed in its truest sense. And Jesus became lonely so you and I would never be alone. So if we ever thought that God didn't care, we recognize he cared so much that in his loneliness, he bore all of the things that we did so you and I will never have to live alone in the midst of our loneliness. That's why our bottom line truth today is we may feel lonely, but we're never alone. I'm not saying how you and I feel is wrong. In fact, I think it's right in the sense of if you feel lonely, that's not anything bad to beat yourself up with. Life is hard. People damage us and we damage ourselves as well. But in the midst of that loneliness, I want you and I to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God does not abandon you. You are never alone despite how lonely you truly feel. And you may say, well, how do you know you're a pastor, you're close to God, you have everything going for you, you don't understand my pain. 
For the last eight months, I prayed, God, when do you want me to share this? And I'm going to reveal it to you today. End of summer of 2018. So last year at this time. I'm usually a happy-go-lucky guy. Everything's going great. And even when I'm struggling, I still can see the bright side in things. I'm pretty optimistic. Not with the Browns, but everything else pretty much in life. And I started to really struggle to get out of bed. Now, I know for some people, when I say that, literally, you are so weak, you can't get out of bed. When I say that, it's more metaphorical for when I did get out of bed, I just didn't want to live. I just felt like such a failure as a husband, as a father, and as a pastor. And then loneliness that no one knew, not even my wife at the beginning, was eating me alive. And I remember when I started to share some things with Paula, how scared she was. Not fearful that I was going to hurt her or anything, or even that I was going to hurt myself. But she was just scared because she could see how badly it was affecting me. I remember I would walk into church, or I would walk and serve our staff, and of course I would put a smile on my face, but deep down, I questioned if I could keep doing this. It was so dark in my life that I never thought about literally uh, committing suicide, but there would be passing thoughts in my mind like, how am I ever going to get out of this? What's going to happen if I keep going down this road? I remember uh, one time I was meeting with our elders who lead the church, and I'm accountable to them. And usually we would meet together, and they would ask how I'm doing, how Paul is doing, how my kids are doing, and usually it's pretty quick to get to the business side of the church. And the elders sat me down and said, hey, Eric, how are you doing? And I said, I'm not good. And you could just see in, in their eyes that something changed. And I looked at them in the eyes. I said, guys, I just want you to know, I don't know if I can be the pastor of this church anymore. And I wasn't saying that for attention. You know how sometimes you say things to get people's attention and that hopefully they'll help you? I, I just said, if you really want to know how I'm doing, I am in that pit of despair right now. I feel so lonely. I have a great wife, incredible kids, great friends, a great church, but I just felt so alone. And so they said to me, the very thing that my wife started to say, Eric, you need to go to counseling. And honestly, if I'm being transparent with you, I thought to myself, counseling are for, counseling's for those who are weak and can't figure it out themselves. And I'm one of those people that, that would push people to counseling, and I would counsel people, but I was one of those people that I would never see counselors. So I told the elders, okay, yeah, that sounds great. Well, I didn't do anything about it, and weeks went on by, and I was just limping in my soul. I would get up and teach a message. I would get up and lead a staff meeting. I would get up and try to be a dad and a husband. But underneath of it all, I said, this, if this keeps going like this, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I met with the elders again. They said, how are you doing? I said, I'm not doing well. I don't know if I can lead this church anymore. And I was this close to putting in my resignation because I didn't think it was fair to lead the church in this state. And they looked me in the eye and they said, they went from, you should get counseling to, you have two weeks. And they recommended a counselor, and I knew another guy who's great, and so he, this guy's a Christ follower, and I email him. I said, hey, man, just letting you know I'm supposed to get counseling. You're a guy that I thought of. And so I made a list on why he should probably reject me. <laughs> 
I'm a pastor, I'm this, I'm this, you probably can't do anything for me, blah, 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 blah. I sent the email, I was expecting to get a reply in a couple days, two hours later, pretty much he gave some other details, but the two words that stick out to me were, try me. I said, oh, crap, (laughs) I'm gonna have to go through this now. I remember walking into his office the first time I ever went to counseling, and I sat down, and I thought, this guy... He's going to, like, tell me some things. I'm like, yeah, that's great. Well, by the end of the first hour, I was begging for a second hour. (laughs) I was sobbing, broken, pouring out my heart about my marriage, pouring my heart out about my kids, pouring my heart out about being a leader to church. Over Over the months, he started pointing out some childhood wounds I didn't know that I was carrying around. All these insecurities that I look like the most secure person in the world, and yet I'm one of the most insecure that I know. All of these things that I'm, but I'm talking to this guy about. And finally, from probably October, November, all the way through my last counseling session, which was a couple weeks ago, God really started to move in my life. But I'm just telling you that loneliness doesn't go away. It wasn't like, yes, I'm healed. I think it's one of those things for me where I'm going to have to deal with it for the rest of my life. But let me tell you, when I say that God does not leave us alone in the midst of our pain, I say that as one who on a scale of 1 to 10 was at about a 9.5. If this God thing was real, he had to come through. And God always does. Not in all the ways that I wish he would have or not the ways that I told him he should, but through being weak and being honest and vulnerable and counseling and getting medication and all these other things, I finally was at a point where I could function and I felt really good about that. And I thought weakness was wrong, but God said weakness is the only way that you can become strong because he told me when I'm weak, he is strong. I don't tell you this story to, to feel badly for me. I tell this to you because I know at least half of you are more feeling like me. You're feeling alone and there's no hope and you don't like yourself and there's all these things. Your marriage is falling apart. You feel like you can't be a good dad. You hate your job and you just feel so alone. And let me tell you, you will stay alone if you don't do something about it. So I want to give you three ways, two out of Psalm 25 and the last one out of my own ex- experience that will help you even though you feel lonely, knowing you're not alone. The first is this. you got to take hold of God's hand. And you're like, that's so cliche. Then why does David, for the first almost 18 verses, talk about things like, oh Lord, I give you my life. Show me the right path, oh Lord. All day long, I love that. Not just, on, not just at church on Sunday or at a meal time. All day long, I put my hope in you. The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness. Every time that I felt lonely, and every time you feel lonely, you have two responses. You either continue to walk that path or you take God's hand. Hope is a futuristic word. For me, I had hope that this wouldn't define me for the rest of my life. But if it did, all I could do is say, God, I will walk with you wherever I have to go as long as you have my hand. And you know what? The next step oftentimes was dark until I took that step with God and I just had enough light to see the path going forward. Every day, not just in church on Sundays, every day, all day, you have to cling to him or you'll cling to something else that will leave you lonely. The second thing that's helped me that David is so clear about is just embracing God's forgiveness. I love that David, he's the king of Israel, known after God's own, to be a man after God's own heart, and he's like, forgive my many, many sins. If you say you're better than David, great, but I'm not. 
If I were writing this, I would probably have about 58 many's. I got a lot of walls that I've put up because of my selfishness, because of my pride. And the only way it knocks it down is to say, God, I've messed up. I need your forgiveness. And when I see Jesus being lonely on the cross, I know, God, you're not going to abandon me, especially you're not going to abandon me to my own selfishness. You will rescue me from that. I love how David puts it after he said all those things, how he feels so heavy because of his sin. He says, finally, I had to get to the point where I just confessed all my sins to you. And I stopped trying to hide my guilt and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. God knocked down all the walls in his life. I said before, and I mean this, some of us have isolated ourselves from others because we've hurt them. Some of us in this room, you want to know how you don't have to feel lonely anymore? Just say you're sorry. The person that you hurt may or may not want a relationship with you depending on the hurt. But if you don't want to be lonely in that relationship anymore, it starts with you. Embracing God's forgiveness and then asking that from others. And maybe, just maybe, some of that loneliness will dissipate as you bring people back into your life that you once isolated. Some of us need to just knock off the selfishness and knock off the pride and stop hurting people. Just say, I'm sorry, and getting on the right path as we cling to God. And I had to do that so often in my counseling times, which leads to my last time, or last point here, is just be real about your struggles. You can't heal if you don't get help. You can say that counseling is for those who are weak, and anyone that's gone to counseling will say, you are so right. It starts with being weak. It starts with you saying, I can't live like this anymore. There's too much of that huge iceberg that you just see the tip of. It's all of these things. I didn't know I had childhood wounds. I had a good childhood. And the, and the counselor was like, hey, what about this? And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and it just, oh, just black stuff just started coming out that I didn't even know about that I'm still dealing with today. You need someone to help guide you. That's what I love about our pastors. We can be that start. But I tell you, us pastors aren't qualified to do that here the way that we really need it. We need to see someone that will look inside of our souls and see Jesus, but also see all the other deepness of this iceberg and help us to get over this. If you want to heal, stop trying to do it yourself. Because I did that for 33 years, and it led to me almost giving up the things that I love the most. Please, I beg you to do something about it. Because if you're weak, he is strong. And though you may feel lonely in the process, he will never abandon you because he is always with you. You are never alone with Jesus. So let's pray. Father, I don't know if I'd be on this stage today if I didn't get help. God, you give us one life. I think sometimes we act like we get many lives or we're going to live until we're 200 years old, but we don't. We have one shot at this. As dads, like Jeremy said, one shot at reflecting you. As a husband, one shot at loving my wife like I should. One shot at leading this church. One shot at whatever it is we are carrying here today. One shot. Why, God, should we waste it by acting like everything's fine when it's not? 
Oh, Lord, break down the walls around our soul, the walls that we've put up as we pushed you away, and the walls that we put up when we're so nasty and arrogant towards other people in our hearts and in our actions. Please take away this loneliness that I can just feel in this room. And it starts by looking to you on the cross and going forward. Take our hands and lead us down the path that you have for us, whatever that looks like. We ask this in Jesus' merciful name. Amen. And to you men, thank you. Happy Father's Day. Have a good Sunday.